a word of warning before we start the show. This episode features some swear words. They come in at about the 27-minute mark. So if you're listening to this with children, you might want to put on your headphones at that point. On with the show. You are listening to Changing Careers, a podcast about how MBA careers are changing and how MBAs change their careers. I am Conrad Chua. It's so good to be back interviewing people after a pause of several months. And our first guest is Andreas Kitzing, founder and CEO of Sponsu, a company that provides a marketplace for athletes and sponsors. Andreas is speaking to us from Hamburg, where Sponsu is based. Hello, Andreas. Hello, Conrad, and hello, community listening. Andreas, I've got lots to ask you, but could you start by explaining what is Sponsu? Sure. Um, Sponsu is a digital marketplace for sport sponsorship. It works actually quite straightforward. Um, athletes, teams, sports events, and associations can create a profile on Sponsu. They enter a lot of data together with the profile so that we have a full overview of who they are and what they're doing. Brands can sign up as well, enter their marketing objectives, and then we match the marketing objectives with the data of the sports people profiles to identify sponsorships. The sponsorships can then be booked in a seamless digital process and be managed online. And uh, from that, we charge a 20% commission and uh, try to scale up the business to a massive global venture. So that's what we're doing with Sponsu. I mean, we're all used to watching sporting events and we see the logos on uh, athletes' shirts uh, or maybe on the advertising billboards. But what actually is in it for the sponsoring company? Yeah, it's it really depends. So um, one of the things that... I always find fascinating uh, with our platform and with the sponsorships that are booked in the end is the variety of sponsorships. So a sponsorship can be the really conventional, just placing a logo somewhere on a perimeter ad or on the shirt of a team. Um, just had some meetings with Bundesliga club this week and um, yeah, from them it's really, really conventional sponsorship and actually the first thing that usually comes to mind for people. But sponsorships can also be athlete cooperations where the athlete more serves as a brand ambassador or as a testimonial and where you produce really creative content. Um, influencer marketing, for example, as well as also at least how we see it, just a subform of sponsorship. And so we have a very wide mix of conventional sponsorships and of really new and innovative digital formats. Or from sponsorships that are like really random wouldn't usually happen. And so we just five minutes before this meeting, we got the confirmation from a, a company from Germany uh, that manufactures sports grounds that they will sponsor a sprinter from Kenya. So really interesting cooperation across continents and um, yeah, it's, uh, super interesting to see how this will develop. So it sounds like, uh, sponsorship is not just slapping a logo on a t-shirt or 
uh, on an athlete. Um, how does this relationship work between uh, a company and the athlete that it chooses to sponsor? Because as you say, you've got this German company, you've got this Kenyan athlete, and yeah. they, they obviously don't, didn't know each other beforehand. How does, uh, how does Sponsor help that relationship? Yeah, it, again, it kind of depends on the marketing objective. So for this company, the marketing objective, their B2B business, um, they don't rely so much on consumers seeing their logo somewhere on a pyrometer ad, and they really want to tell a story. So we look with the help of our algorithm and our database and try to identify athletes that have a fit from the sports they do. So they need to do a sport that they can do on the artificial turfs, for example, or the stadium tracks that this company manufactures, just like a sprinter, um, but that have an interesting story to tell. And this this guy, uh, Mark, from Kenya, um, like literally started running somewhere in the middle of nowhere on a sand street and is now competing on an international level. And that's a story that's really interesting to tell and where the company is looking forward to integrate that into their marketing channels. And by explaining his story, also kind of explaining what benefit they do for athletes and um, other users of their uh, sports grounds. So you've mentioned algorithm and data a few times already. Yeah. How does that work? Uh, how do you find out more about an athlete? Because obviously you might know certain physical attributes, certain uh, accomplishments on the sporting field, but how do you gather data from the athlete that would be useful to pair up with a sponsoring company? Yeah. Um, it's really a mix of different data sources. So, especially in terms of athletes, most straightforward, obviously, is the sports. They do uh, some physical attributes, career highlights, and also data that we can collect from social media. So, from their social media accounts via uh, APIs to Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, we get a lot of information about the target group of individual athletes and also of teams or other, basically anyone who has a social media profile. We mix that with data that we have in our database, especially concerning the sport or the geography. So we know that a beach volleyball player has probably has quite a different followership than someone who plays football or rugby or golf, for example. Um, we also know the images that are associated with the sport and then can blend that into the player profile. We also know, um, to stay in the UK, uh, the geography of a team that is based in Cambridge, which is quite different from a team that is based in London or in a suburb somewhere of London or in Liverpool or, I don't know, somewhere in the countryside. And we mix all these information together with different ways and uh, different weights and uh, this gives us a total overview of the athlete or team so again we read in the newspapers about these multi hundred million dollar deal sponsorship deals what is the size of the sponsorship deals that uh, people can find on sponsor 
it's a super wide range. The smallest sponsorship deal that we closed was one euro um, for a card driver that now has the logo of the sponsor somewhere on their website. And yeah, so we built this card driver one euro or the sponsor one euro and paid out 80 cents of that to the card driver. And actually, I think even our transaction costs were a bit higher than the 20% take that we took from that deal. And the largest deals are easily six-figure deals or in the seven-figure range. So you will also find naming rights for first division football clubs or large rights in esports where you can easily spend a um, couple million euro per year. So before Sponsu came about, how did the process of getting a sponsor whether you're from an athlete or from a company looking for an athlete to sponsor, how did that whole process work? Yeah, it was really a push process and it still is in much parts of the market. So what happens is that the sponsorship managers for athletes or a team just go out and spam everyone they can find with their sponsorship proposal. And as a sponsorship manager, you're flooded with sponsorship requests. Everyone is telling you that your team or your athlete is the one to sponsor. doesn't matter if it actually is, but everyone is just yeah, keeping you busy with sponsorship requests. And what we do is turn the process really around. Obviously, we, uh, we also do sales and reach out to sponsorship or marketing decision makers, but we try to see what works for them from their perspective, from the brand, and then we look into the database and identify by sponsorships. So we try to shift this into a pull process where the brand actually selects and doesn't get flooded. And that's something that obviously the brands really appreciate. And on the other hand, uh, the more successful we are, also the less uh, time do athletes and team managers need to uh, do sales and cold calls and the more they can focus on what they really should be doing like training or um, yeah, just becoming more successful as an athlete. So it sounds really interesting what you're doing here. You're creating this marketplace where on the one side you've got athletes or clubs and on the other side you've got uh, sponsors, uh, companies that want to sponsor. Now. In business schools, we learn about these two-sided networks and the difficulty is always finding enough people on both sides of the market. <laughs> so for sponsor, which came first, the athletes or the sponsors? Yeah, the classic chicken uh, and the egg problem. Yeah, the athletes were much easier to acquire and still are. So as soon as we launched the platform and did some marketing, which apparently worked quite well, uh, our portfolio filled really fast with athlete and team profiles, even already quite good profiles. Now that we're in the market a little bit longer, we tend to break more into the really super professional sports area. So three or four years ago, we didn't have any Bundesliga sponsorships. Now we have. And uh, as soon as we had the supply on the platform, the demand side, so the sponsors also started shaping up. and. What we're doing now, there's still more supply than demand from the sponsor side. So we focus our marketing and sales activities more on bringing in more sponsors. Uh, 
um, because the athletes, especially the better the platform works, uh, the more athletes we get because they tend to talk to each other and we can really see the effect once we um, broker a couple of interesting sponsorships in a certain sport where we still don't have the high market penetration, all the other other athletes from these sports start signing up as well. So word of mouth is really strong, uh, but obviously more on the athlete side. So what's your pitch to uh, a company that you're trying to get on board sponsor? Well, um, first of all, it doesn't cost you anything up front. What you do when you sign up on Sponsu is you get interesting marketing proposals that are super targeted to your custom marketing needs. And if, if you like them, you can book them with us in a super easy process that is data-driven, that makes the results of your sponsorship measurable. And yeah, just sign up and see what we can offer you. And then it's up to us to convince you. Andreas, this is a very interesting idea because you're taking something that seems like very traditional uh as you say um the traditional way of spamming people etc and you're transforming it uh taking in data from social media etc and using an algorithm to pair up people what i'm interested in is what led you to this idea yeah so i actually developed this idea during my time in cambridge it's not the first time that I found a company. I found two other startups before, uh, both of them not super successful. The one I actually managed to sell, but not for much money, and the other one utterly failed because we had no idea what we were doing. And when I came to Cambridge, I worked as a management consultant before, but I knew I wanted to change careers. Um, I actually knew that even before I started a management consulting. I did tell the guys. In the job interview, all right, I will be doing this for three years, and I do an MBA, and then I probably do something else. So, um, starting at Cambridge, everyone started kind of thinking, what are we going to do after our MBA? And for me, it was pretty clear that I will use this career change opportunity to start an entrepreneurship again. And if I wasn't successful, I could still get a normal job, but um, I think it's a really good occasion to change careers and uh, so we took part in the startup weekend in cambridge in october 2013 didn't really work out with a good idea there because the thing that we pitched turned out to be patented and um, we still like the process of the startup weekend so we organized our own startup weekend with friends from hamburg um, locked ourselves in for a weekend with beer and pizza and used the Walt Disney method to come up with startup ideas. And Sponsor was not necessarily the easiest idea to implement, but definitely the one with the highest market potential. So uh, I went forward with it and continued to develop the idea throughout the MBA. I took the entrepreneurship concentration. I started the company as the summer project not to test i already knew that i would do this after the mba as well and yeah from there we started growing and now we're uh, 12 people in the team um, have a solid business uh, good investors lots of happy clients and uh, are still growing you said that you developed that idea over the course of a one-year mba 
yeah. when you finished that MBA and you were starting Sponsu, did it look anything like what it is today? Uh, the, the core idea did actually look like what we're doing today. So the idea back then was already we um, we broker sponsorships and charge a commission from every deal. Um, that hasn't changed. The rest has changed very much. So we started first in my kitchen, then in a back backyard garage in Hamburg's red light district. Uh, that was so cold in winter that one day the water on our desks was frozen when we came into the office in the morning. So I think we moved up a little bit from there. And uh, also learning from the first startup that I, or the second that I did, where we took much too much time to launch our product. We started with a very crappy version of the website really, really early that just looked from the outside like you could buy a sponsorship, but actually it was just a system where you could sign up and then would be called by us by phone or by email um, in order to see what you wanted to do. And so that look has changed very much, but uh, the core still remains the same. And you mentioned about uh, getting funding uh, yeah. as you grew. When did you decide that it was time to go out and get funds? <laughs> um, much too early, actually. So. Uh, at first, we kind of got lucky because we uh, got funded from the European Union uh, via a startup accelerator program that didn't take any equity, just gave out grants. And we even managed to finish the program as one of the top startups and got another grant. But then that money didn't, didn't last for too long. So we started reaching out to investors kind of early before we really had a product or customers and um, weren't too successful in the beginning. But eventually, when also the core business started yielding promising results, we got our first angel investors. And actually, the content that I learned in Cambridge throughout the MBA really helped to bring in many of the investors. So I met the first investor that actually invested into the Sponsu at a uh, dinner um, near the end of the grant program and we didn't talk so much about Sponsu as a business so I didn't annoy him all the time with pitch details but we rather talked about details of fundraising of funding of how you can structure things and uh, all of that was knowledge that I gained through the venture capital and startup financing course in Cambridge and apparently the Things that I knew because I learned them here in Cambridge impressed him so much that uh, a couple of weeks later we really started talking about an investment into Sponsu and he's still, still with us and also invested in the last round again. I'm interested to to hear more about this idea of getting funds too early. What does that do to a company or a startup like Sponsu? I mean, I, I'm guessing that at that point you were grateful to move out of uh, the garage where the it was so cold. So why why do you say that you know getting funds too early uh, is not great? No, actually, it's not that getting funds too early is not great. If you can convince someone really early to give you money, that's awesome because it can accelerate your growth. But a mistake that we definitely made and that I also see lots of other really early stage startups making is to go out to investors. Uh, with just the idea and I always tell them you need 
two or three things to be successful in fundraising. And um, these three things are a track record, a functioning product, or at least a very convincing prototype, and customers that are paying customers or really use the product like they're supposed to if you have a non-paying business. Uh, so in other words, traction. And most startups only have one or one of these things or none. And um, without that, you will struggle to find investors. And the time that you invest into pitching and chasing investors would probably be better invested into scaling the business. And once you're ready, once you have traction and have a product, you can then go out and find investors. Or if you have a track record as a successful entrepreneur, obviously you can do that much earlier, but uh, few of the founders that I know already have that. Andreas, we're speaking in July 2020 and the world is on its uh, starting to recover from uh, COVID-19. Now, COVID-19 obviously has had a huge impact on the sporting world. How has that affected Sponsu? Well, everyone was affected of COVID in one way or the other. I think we were a little bit lucky compared to com our competitors that we, A, always had a super flexible organizational structure, B, um, maintained quite a low burn rate so that we didn't immediately run into cash flow problems and C, and that is really important, have this super wide and um, diverse portfolio of sponsorship opportunities. So the last one is really crucial because that allowed us to compensate for the more conventional sponsorships that are not booked anymore or weren't, now they are starting again, to um, uh, give sponsors the opportunity to book other sponsorships instead. So to give you a more precise example, no one booked pyramiter ads or shirt sponsorships in the last couple of months because they were not sure the matches were actually happening or in the stadium if someone would see the, the logo on the perimeter ad. So that didn't take place, but companies still had marketing budget and um, sports marketing budget and lots of companies even shifted that to other forms of sponsorship. For example, more digital rights or sports influencer marketing. So we had something to offer for them and that covered much of the losses. Um, did set us back maybe a couple of months, but nothing that kills us. And um, we have a close look on the competition as well. And we see that they are really struggling and someone are really fighting for survival. And that's something that is definitely not the case with us. So compared to the competition, we probably go through this crisis much better um, than most other companies within the sector. I wanted to just switch gears a bit and talk yeah. about uh, your own history, your own development. You said you started two companies before uh, moving into consulting and then having an MBA and then getting to Sponzu. So was, did you always grow up thinking that you wanted to start a company? Uh, kind of. I don't know. It kind of came to me more or less. I don't know. I, the drive to build something from scratch, not only companies, also other stuff was always there. And I always wanted to change my surrounding, my environment. Uh, 
another step. I was always the team captain in my sports teams, even though I was never any good. So <laughs> talent to actually do sports uh, somehow passed me. Um, I was the um, president of the student body in high school, and we developed really awesome stuff. We built a beach volleyball court. Um, we had a school trip to an amusement park with the entire school to a holiday park. And this drive to change things and to try out new things, new projects, new business, new ventures was always there. And um, most of the time when it came to business, it were more business that I did on the side. So after the MBA, I think it was time to build something full time and uh, really go forward with it. And yeah, that's how I ended up sitting here talking to you about Sponzu. <laughs> and you are based in Hamburg. I, th I believe that's where you know we grew up. How is yeah. Hamburg uh, and Germany uh, as a place for startups? I think it's quite a good place. So Hamburg does have a good ecosystem. Um, it has a very high quality of living, which makes it super easy to attract talents. It's a bit more expensive to live here than in Berlin, for example. But again, the living quality is higher as well. And you have a little bit less competition from other, uh, other startups or other tech companies. And um, yeah, generally, I mean, the economy is doing reasonably well in Germany, which gives you access to lots of interesting clients, especially in Hamburg, which is an economically really strong area. Um, the legal environment is sometimes a bit bureaucratic, but overall it gives you a pretty solid and reliable framework of what you can do and what you can't do. And I think all these are factors that are really helping to grow a business. And um, yeah, also you have access to fundraising. There are some government grant programs or subsidy programs that not necessarily give us more money, but encourage investors or private people to invest into startups. And that is also something that is really helpful. I know that there are similar programs in the UK, um, but it's good that Germany followed suit and a couple of years after the UK introduced them, came up with something similar and really helps us to raise funds and to grow the ecosystem. Andreas, as we begin to wrap up, What's your advice to people thinking of starting a company during this time, during this pandemic? Yeah, um, to put it in the words that I often heard throughout the entrepreneurship concentration in Cambridge, just fucking do it. Uh, sorry for the swear word, but I definitely remember that uh, from the concentration. So just fucking do it. Just build your company. Use this very changing and disrupting environment maybe also the opportunity that you're not currently occupied with something else full-time to try out new things and just to see how they develop and the worst that can happen is that you are not successful with the business but still learn a lot of valuable skills that help you throughout your other professional career or also in life so just do it just try out be flexible if, it, you're, if you're not 100% successful with the first idea. Change it, try something new and repeat this process so long until you're eventually successful with your idea. That's a great advice, Andreas. Finally, how can people 
find out more about you and Sponzu? Yeah, if you are an athlete or even better, someone who has marketing budget, obviously you should sign up on Sponzu.com. Um, if you just want to see how we're developing, how we as a Cambridge startup are growing and what the future holds for us, please be invited to follow up uh, on our social media channels. Uh, you can find us as Sponzu on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And um, obviously you can also follow me as HSV Andreas on all social networks. HSV Hamburger Sportverein is a shortcut for my favorite football team. So uh, I think when I was 12 or 13 and started signing up for social networks, I really wanted to have the sports association already. And uh, yeah, I just stick with it, I stuck with it for the last 20 or so years. Well, as a long-suffering fan of Tottenham Hotspur, I will not ask you how Hamburg is doing because I, I, I know we were both, uh, both our clubs are underperforming. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> just a different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, just for listeners, Sponzu, can you spell out the um, the URL again? Yeah, sure. It's Sponzu. S P O N S O dot com. Thank you very much, Andreas. Thank you, Conrad. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, subscribe if you're not done so. If you've already subscribed, thank you so much. One favor, please share this with someone you know who would benefit from listening. Please leave a rating and review. It helps others discover this show. You can let me know what you think about the show by tweeting me at ConradChua16 or you can find me on Instagram at ChuaKH. That's C-H-U-A-K-H. Till next time. This is Conrad Chua on Changing Careers.